good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this weekly program, in which we take an hour or so to uh, to listen to a guest as they talk about, uh, well, a verse they never saw. In other words, uh, almost all the guests for this program uh, were uh, believers in Jesus Christ, whether they were laity or clergy. Uh, at least at some point in their journey, they came to a, a deep commitment to Jesus Christ and a love for Scripture, but also in the process of their desire to follow Christ and Scripture, they were drawn home to the Catholic Church. And what we're going to talk about with them is a verse or verses that uh, open them to the Catholic faith. Sometimes it's a verse that they were not aware of, they read over, read past, or maybe it was a verse that they didn't quite see what the intent of the verse was all about. But whatever case, they, when the Holy Spirit touched their heart and they were able to see this verse along with other sources of information and encouragement and inspiration, their heart and mind were open to the beauty of the Catholic faith. And so in this program, we look at Scripture through the eyes of the church, uh, through the eyes of the teacher to whom we were to listen with Scripture. We have Scripture, particularly the canon of Scripture, these particular books, as a gift from Jesus Christ inspired by the Holy Spirit. We receive them through the church. And so we want to make sure that as we interpret Scripture, we interpret it correctly. Now, my guest this week is a guest who uh, had been on my Journey Home program on EWTN. His name is Bruce Fingerhut. He, um, as on the deepinscripture.com website, we've posted a bio for Bruce, giving a bit of his background. He's coming to us on air from South Bend, Indiana. Bruce was born and raised in a largely secular Jewish household in the Washington metropolitan area. For most of his young manhood, Bruce was an agnostic. He married the first non-Jewish girl he ever dated, and she was in the center of his conversion at the age of 28, first to the Episcopal Church, but finally to the Catholic Church. After completing coursework for his Ph.D. in political theory under Gerhard Niemeyer, another main force in his life, Bruce went into book publishing and has been in that field for over 35 years. In 1996, Bruce founded St. Augustine's Press, a small scholarly house specializing in philosophy, theology, and cultural history. Over the years, it has gained a reputation for publishing strongly traditional works of a principally Catholic aura, he writes. And if you're interested in finding out more about St. Augustine's Press, you can go to, first of all, deepinscripture.com, the website for today's program. And on that site at the bottom of the page is a direct link to St. Augustine's Press. His website is saintaugustine.net. And on that website, there's all kinds of great stuff, new titles, forthcoming titles, all of this collection of books. So I encourage you to go to that. Great stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm one that believes that one of the major things we're missing in America today is a good philosophical foundation. Certainly there are a lot of people that don't have a very good theological foundation, but I believe without a good philosophical foundation, it's hard to have a balanced theological foundation. And maybe Bruce can talk about that in a moment if he'd like. But I asked Bruce for a verse for today's program, and he chose a, a great verse, a, a great section of the book of Romans. And I would say 
almost all evangelical Protestants at least are very familiar with these passages, probably quoted them or part of them. And it's, it's a great section. I'm glad Bruce has chosen that. Let me read this. Then we'll take a break and Bruce will join us. The verse, well, actually, before I read, I want to remind you, I'm sorry, we'd love to have you give us a call or write us an email if you'd love to enter a comment or a question into today's program. Our phone number is 800-664-5110, or you can call us at 740-450-1175, or you can send me an email at marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, at deepinscripture.com. You can also go to the deepinscripture.com website and watch the program live as a web broadcast. Here's the, the scripture that Bruce chose for us to listen to today and then to meditate on. Romans chapter 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, For thy sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Written by Carl Adam, Roots of the Reformation gives a historically sensitive and accurate analysis of the cases of the Reformation that stands as a valid and sometimes unsettling challenge to the presuppositions of Protestants and Catholics alike. This valuable resource is a powerful summary of the issues that led to the Reformation and their implications today. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journeys Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. And uh, again, let me remind you that if you'd like to find out more about our program, go to deepinscripture.com, and you'll find out both what text we're looking at today. You can find all the archived programs as well as uh, information about today's guest, who is Bruce Fingerhut. Hello, Bruce. Are you there? Oh, I'm here. Thanks, Marcus. Well, it's great to have you on the program. 
Take time away from all those books. You're in a world of books. Well, that's okay. I can use the time away sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just curious before we jump into it. Uh, I made a comment earlier about my thoughts about the lack of philosophy in, in America, and particularly philo- the necessity of having a good philosophy to have a good theology. What's your thoughts on that? I think you're right. Um, it, it's true that sometimes um, that there are certainly theologians who are not philosophically astute, but the ones that we know in the church, people like Thomas Aquinas and, uh, and St. Augustine, for example, are, in my mind, more philosophers than they are theologians, because their basis of things starts with reason and starts with logic. And in fact, that's one of the most attractive parts of the church, to my, my mind, that you don't have to get rid of your mind in order to uh, have your heart satisfied. Um, and uh, so I, I think you're right that there's a good basis, a good grounding in philosophy. Of course, philosophy can be all kinds of things. It can well, be a rather <laughs> awful things too, especially modern philosophy. <laughs> but um, but nevertheless, I I think that when we come right down to it, um, uh, the, these these um, questions that that philosophers deal with are a great break off to go in, into the. Uh, you know, the queen of sciences, the <laughs> theology later. You know, my son, uh, as you know, you've, you've talked to him. Yeah. Uh, John Mark is a senior at Bowling Green State, majoring in philosophy, uh, contemplating where he'll go next, probably to a master's degree or, or, or on. He's thinking. And, uh, you know, m- as a parent with a son in philosophy today, especially coming from my evangelical background, I was pretty much trained to think that you can't trust philosophy. In fact, there are some people, I've been told, that were Catholics who were afraid to to read the New Testament because they were afraid that without a a careful guidance, in the end they would become Protestant. They were afraid to -hmm. jump into it. And sometimes I wonder if people are in the same way afraid to jump into philosophy because they're afraid they won't be able to discern the good from the bad. Well, I I know that there are people, and I, I don't... I, I've not met too many of them, but I know that they exist, that think that um, we must, especially since uh, in, the, in the more modern times, I think, uh, that think that if they are um, thinking too much about something, they're not feeling enough. They're not, they're not, uh, uh, yeah. they're not approaching God with their heart, that somehow it's all very cold and, and, uh, and uh, you know, logical or something. And it, I can understand that more in an evangelical background than I can in the Catholic Church, which sure. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, it, uh, the present Pope, of course, in the Regensburg lecture and other places has admirably put forward Thomas Aquinas's views that, that, you know, we are given a mind for some reason to, to know and understand and love God. And knowing him and loving him are not two separate things. They are somehow intertwined. Um, it, it's true that people have various, um, what can I say, various um, abilities. Some have more abilities for logic and, and, and that sort of thing than others. And some have greater ability for love. And, um, but nevertheless, these two go together. And, and they're, not, they're not separate entities and you can pick, you pick and choose. Something you have to take in with your whole heart. Um, and your whole mind, and it, it, it's right out of the scripture. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, I, I think that it, it, it's wonderful that the church has been so strong about, and, and as I say, reinforced so much by our present pope, um, that it, it's, it's um, an important aspect to understand that understanding 
and um, and loving are are two aspects in some ways of the same whole person that we were supposed to be. Well, Bruce, you were a your journey is a, a secular agnostic Jew marries a Jew. No, agnostic to Episcopalian to Catholic. I I, I married a non-Jew. I married a, a Lutheran. Um, oh, okay. Uh, in fact, it was the first non-Jewish girl. Oh, I that's had, right. And the only yeah, non-Jewish right. girl I ever dated. Um, <laughs> but I, I, and I say that I'm an agnostic only because I I insisted that I didn't have enough faith to be an atheist, and, uh, which I think requires an enormous amount of faith. I mean, you have to shut your eyes to the whole world, it seems to me, uh, to be an atheist. And I wasn't prepared to do that. I wasn't prepared to listen to anything. So I just called myself an agnostic and was happy just to not be bothered about it, by the whole thing. Yeah, I remember C.S. Lewis, I think it was him that dis- that tried to define the difference, I think this is right, between an agnostic and an atheist in the sense that, you know, the, the issue of whether there's a spider in this room where I'm sitting, I, um, it's, it's much more difficult to say there is no spider anywhere in this room right. than it is for me to find a spider and say there is one. But as an agnostic, say, well, I can't be sure there isn't a spider in this room. Well, you know, let me give you, that's a, I think that's a great uh, answer. And I can give you one out of my own personal experience that just happened. Um, we we uh, yearly have uh, what we call a symposium, a St. Augustine symposium on a book that we have published in the past year and it's a big dinner and it's a very nice affair here and uh, this year we're doing this one that you might know about that uh, Charlie Rice has written on what happened to Notre Dame oh yes and it, so it, I want to get my free copy of that uh, Bruce. well you got it I'll, I'll send it to you <laughs> I'm joking I have plenty of copies <laughs> but um, in any case when when we uh, did this I invited uh, you know a lot of people um, and one of them is an author friend of mine who's in publishing and who's an atheist and uh, he's, a, he's a British atheist, which is a separate set of atheism. In other words, it's somebody who's spitting mad at God. Um, <laughs> that's more or less the British way, I think. And, and um, in any case, I write him. I like this man a lot, and he's a good friend, and I pray for him. And yep. um, he, um, he turned it down in, in the beginning, saying, I think I'd be uh, uncomfortable. And I said, you're not going to be uncomfortable with these people. These people are not going to uh, browbeat you. They're not going to do that. They're going to present you with recent arguments that you will like to discuss. And then he, he was thinking about it and wrote me back later on and said this. He said, you know, I, I've thought about it and I think, well, just because I'm pro-choice, I don't think I should come. And then I wrote him back and I said, David, and I quoted in the Old Testament, I said, David, I can understand you being an atheist, okay? Um, no one has seen God, you know, the, the quote from the New T- Old Testament. And I can understand that. If you want to be a materialist, you can see that. But you've seen an aborted fetus. Yeah. What else could it be? And, you know, yeah. it's, it's something like the spider yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. situation. You can understand certain things because the nature of man has to be, you have to um, reach out and not just suck in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and to, be, to go past agnosticism and go past atheism, you have to at least reach out a little bit. But the other thing, it seems to me, you can stand by there and simply you're the, the rule of your eyes would show that this is an right. abomination. That's right. So if you're willing to look, exactly. the truth is right in front of you, exactly. if you can see it. All right. Now, talking about looking, here's a verse you said you never saw, or at least was one that opened your eyes, this Romans 8 passage. 
Um, and maybe as a first question, why did you like? Why do you like this passage particularly? Well, um, it, it was an afterthought, really, in some ways, because remember, I didn't know anything of the New sure. Testament. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, did you know the Old Testament at all? Oh yeah, we were, okay. I was taught that. I knew I knew all the stories. In fact, I, I taught I, I taught Sunday school before I was baptized, <laughs> simply because I knew the Old Testament better than most of the people, including. Um, uh, well, maybe not including the priests, but at least up to their level. And they wanted me to teach the Old Testament to high school uh, students in this, um, in this class, and, uh, which is fine, and I, I did. And, and then I started having a little bit of an argument with a really dear priest, this is in the Episcopal Church now, uh, a dear priest friend um, who had the, the singularly a wonder, uh, one of these wonderful hearts that he wanted to, he wanted to uh, inspire all children of all ages for the love of Jesus. Well, the problem is that the love of Jesus seen from a priest who's 45 years old and who's been thinking about these things for 25 years. It's different from somebody who's seven years old, you know, and and it's different from seven to 17. There's a, there's a difference. They're, they're changing rapidly. And I try to talk him into using the Old Testament in the beginning, saying <laughs> that, you you know, if they find out about, about the, you know, uh, Samson, Killing all these uh, uh, Philistines with the uh, with the jawbone of an ass, and all the all the incredible stories that took place. Mm-hmm. Some of them, some of them may, that may need to be re-explained later on <laughs> as you get older. <laughs> right. But nevertheless, this is this. You can understand devotion. You can understand mm-hmm. loyalty. You can understand. And these are the beginnings. You know, the beginnings of understanding the really the, the great depth that you're going to. Otherwise, you're stuck with a Jesus meek and mild forever. Yeah. And and that's I think probably a mistake and that's I, when i came to the catholic church i saw that that is not uh <laughs> that problem is not uh endemic only in the episcopal church it's in the catholic church too that the understanding is a little bit too um it's too uh, childish we don't grow up to a better understanding uh with a with a sermon that's you know 12 minutes long once a week mm-hmm. uh at best so part of the problem i think is is um, to get a, a deeper understanding. When, when I read this, um, one of the things that it, it occurred to me later that, and I like this right away, but I, I, I don't want to say that it's not the right way of saying it, falling in love with St. Paul, but <laughs> Paul, St. Paul was really um, an amazing, I mean, I consider him the greatest man who ever lived, and I think for many, I can, I can go up against anybody who would like to argue with me about that. <laughs> Um, Next to Jesus. Well, I, 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 I don't include God-man. It's right. quite the same. I don't think it's quite fair to be confused. I understand. <laughs> there. Um, but in any case, um, when I read this, um, it, and later on when I thought about it, it the whole thing about, about conversion is, um, is, it seems like it's in some ways twofold with me. One is, Am I separating myself from something, or am I adding myself to something? Well, I always thought that I was the latter. The latter was the main thing. I am. I wrote my mother when I was going to be baptized, and I told her that nothing that I ever believed, nothing that I ever held dear when I was a Jew would be different. It, 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 all I'm doing is adding to, and I'm adding great things to this. Um, and, I, and I believe that, and I still believe that. Um, uh, even though she might not, but nevertheless, because she might not, actually, she was very, very positive about the whole thing. It was no problem at all. But nevertheless, um, uh, 
I did send the same letter or similar letter to my rabbi. I never received an answer. <laughs> <laughs> it was too hurtful, I think, with him. But yeah. the point is that um, that this is a letter that says that, that all the things that we meet, and the, what he lists here is everything, the tribulation and distress, the things that happen to us subjectively and internally, the persecution and famine, the things that happen outside of us, the peril and sword, the objective things of like, like war and so forth, all these, and then, then the supernatural ones, angels and principalities, and, and, and you know, things present and future, time, it's, it's about time, it's about, it's about um, uh, substance, all these things are things that are are not going to be able to get in between Christ and me. I thought this is the this is the really the passage for converts that that need to uh, see that that what has happened to them is not a loss but an tremendous gain and and a uh, a gain that even the things that you think in your life like your family. I mean, I was. Uh, quite frankly, there are some that sort of sat shiva for me, you know. Uh, it, it was something that I was dead to them. Um, but even even that, that is not a loss. I mean, Christ said, who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not worthy of me. I mean, it, there are some hard sayings. We all realize that, that, that there are um, not just uh, sitting on clouds and playing liars and, and living in our, the heavenly host. It's there's work to be done and there's hard work and it's maybe more difficult life. I mean, I don't think uh, conversion makes life easier except in your heart. <laughs> right. It, it isn't as if once we surrender to Jesus, he, well, he does say, you know, come to me all ye who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest and take my yoke. Uh, you know, this idea of him sharing our burdens can give the impression like when we convert whether it's to Jesus or all the way home to his church that all of a sudden it's going to be you know the, the shoots are going to be greased yeah. and it's going to be smooth sailing uh, but there's no promise in that I, I remember so well uh, I was one of the principal uh, principal people in my conversion C.S. Lewis I read uh, yes. practically everything of his and and I remember the little epigraph he used. I don't have it. it I don't have it in my mind the exact words, but I have it pretty close. Uh, in the problem of pain, uh, he quoted George MacDonald's Lilith, uh, who, uh, and it said something like, uh, "The, the um, Lord our God, the, the, the Son of God, did not come down to live as one of us and to die uh, in pain." That we would have no suffering, but that our suffering would be like his. And and it seems to me that's that's the nature of Christianity. It's not it's not that oh my gosh we picked the right we picked the right team to be on and we can just go out and you know we're going to be rich and happy and famous and it, it'll all go to the beach. You know it's not going to be the beach may be there, but the beach may be there it may be Omaha Beach. It could be all kinds of, yeah. of, of difficulties that are left here. But, but all these things in his name, all these things done in his glory, these are things that will never set, that, you know, that we, we know we cannot be separated if we only come about. Lewis once said this about, about conversion, and it really was, well, about re-accepting in some ways. I don't uh -huh. know if I'd really call it conversion. He said it's like being in a, in a wood. And you, the more you travel on your own, the deeper,
deeper in the wood and the darker it becomes. But every, every 50 yards or whatever it may be, there's a break. There's a break in the path, and there's a, there's a fork. And you get to pick one side or the other. And one will lead you out of the woods, and one will lead you deeper into the woods. But if you go deeper and deeper, there's still always another, another break, another chance, another, another opportunity. This is sort of, I think, in some beautiful little way, is saying what St. Paul said here, that, that we're not alone. We're never going to be alone. The deepest part of the woods is still, it still has, there will be an opportunity coming up any time now. Uh, it will it'll always present itself so that nothing really can separate us, nothing at all. Even ourselves in some ways can't separate us. But, but if, if there is anything that can separate us, it is not an objective or a subjective or something outside of us. It's only us, ourselves, that can do that. And that's that, the part that isn't included in here, which, right. which a lot of people don't see, is that issue of ourselves. Let's take a break, Bruce, and come back and, and uh, again, dig deep into this passage because and maybe look for our audience, let's examine, um, you know, these attacks that are, are there. Uh, are they just attacks that attacks, yeah. things that attacked the people in Paul's time, or are they still very much present in our own? And if that's true, how do we understand them? How do we, do we grasp and put our mind around these things that are there to uh, to stand as a spiritual battle force in our lives. We'll do that on the other side of the break. Great. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grota. I am joined today by Bruce Fingerhut, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled, Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you too will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, and I'm joined this afternoon by Bruce Fingerhut, and we're looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39. Bruce, during the break, I was thinking as I looked at the very first sentence in this section, which introduces us to this potential battle and whether we need to be concerned about it or not is the issue but that very first sentence who shall separate us from the love of Christ um, you're a philosopher and in issues of logic which you know some in my life would probably say I'm not very logical but the uh, it seems to imply that at least at the time there was a fear that they could be separated from Christ I think that's probably true, and I think it's, it also indicates that there is a, a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'd call I don't want to necessarily say a, 
but it's a who out there mm -hmm. that may want to separate us from the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, it isn't something that um, starts, that it indicates, it seems to me, that um, there are powers, forces, whatever you want, might want to call them, that are existent to separate us from yeah. the love of Christ. And part of it, of course, it could be our, our own self. I mean, our, our, mm -hmm. our um, and I, I mean in this in two ways. One is uh, ourself in the sense of our weaknesses, our, um, our uh, doubts, our, our, uh, our tribulations, our distresses, our, our, you know, our depressions, mm -hmm. uh, all the, the kinds of things that happen to us in, in life. But also our our stubbornness and our desire, our will. you know, yeah. exactly our things have fallen. And, but there also may be outside forces there too. Something uh, it, when you first become a convert, you think, why would anybody want to do this? I mean, well, there's nothing that's <laughs> going to. But then, of course, um, like the first church when everybody was baptized and they thought they actually were going to be perfect after that and they were never going to sin again and you know and they realized by 10 o'clock that morning that maybe that was not a true statement that they they did have you know the wrong kinds of feelings and the and immoral uh, uh, actions that could follow um, it there's a constant need for this so if if that first if that first sentence is the first sentence makes you think that mm -hmm that um, you can have your own self-doubts, they may come back. But there also may be reasons for this. There may be reasons that are out, lie outside of our own, our own self, too. Yeah, and <clears throat> the traditional uh, three things that the church uses to summarize all these things that we uh, are up against when it comes to the spiritual battle are the world, the flesh, the devil. and the devil. And, you know, the world would represent, uh, maybe you should go on, Bruce, and explain that. The world is all those things that, that we encounter, yeah. right? Yeah. That, Absolutely. The things that uh, will tempt us, that uh, give us a solace, we might say, mm -hmm. uh, uh, that uh, the, um, uh, the beauty of the world. I mean, there are, there are beauties that we see, and we can see them as if, as the gift of God, but we can also see them as something, I'm lucky to be born in San Diego, whereas the weather is good every day, yeah. <laughs> rather than northern Indiana, where the weather is good every 14th day, you know. Um, and, uh, of course, on the other hand, people like us are, are privileged to, to uh, uh, notice how good the weather is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, so that there, there, is that, there is that possibility that of the, of the, uh, that, that, that tribulations that we, we see there, too. And then there's the, you know, that invisible part, though, that, exactly. that it seems that at least in our 20th century, now 21st century world, the majority, a majority of people are oblivious to. Yeah. And therefore, once you're oblivious to the influence of the supernatural, then you can also become a dupe to it. You can become a slave to it. Excellent. Very much so. I remember reading Lewis's uh, screw tape. Oh, yeah. In which he says, you know, the, the major thing that that he teaches Wormwood, his, uh, his uh, devil in, well, you know, uh, uh, mm -hmm. Mephistopheles <laughs> in, in training, is uh, not, to, not to make yourself in front and to, to make these people think that you don't exist. Um, it, it's much better than to say, to, to lord your power over 
both of them, but rather to think that these are natural thoughts that they're, they're coming up with. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's, there are powers, uh, of course, and I think, though, that our staying on the straight and narrow is, is, um, is not a one-time election. Uh, in one respect, of course, it is, and that is the very nature of, this, of what this um, passage in, in Romans says, namely that there is nothing that can separate us in the end. But on the other hand, in terms of, of uh, our day-to-day work and our day-to-day uh, activity, uh, we have to keep um, we have to keep at it all the time. I, re- I remember in, way back in ninth grade. Gosh, that's a long time ago. <laughs> we had uh, chorus, and we had a, this teacher in chorus who kept saying that if you just have to hold a long note, you know, um, a, a very long note, um, if you just allow it to be that way, it, your voice will naturally drift down, a, you know, a flat or something like that. You have to keep thinking up, 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 and she would raise her head up and stretch her very long neck, and we'd, we'd understand it. So you have to keep thinking higher and higher, otherwise <laughs> it's gonna, your voice will drip down. And it, I think probably our work is like that in, in some ways, and I mean our work, not just what we do for night five, but you know, our life with our families and, 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 and all our re- reactions to other people and so forth, and, um, that it, it's a, uh, a continual, a continual reevaluation, a continual apology in some ways, and a continual work that that keeps us in this in this way. I don't think this gets you out of any anything. As I said, the um, the what what Christ promised us would be that uh, not a lack of suffering, but a suffering that would be His and that we could share with Him, which is a great honor. Right. Now these, uh, you know, you're you have a philosophy background in our. I'm assuming quite familiar with the philosophy background that would have been in the lives and backgrounds of the people to whom Paul is writing. And I'm wondering if the background to some of these uh, things that he uh, enumerates actually come out of their philosophical understanding of life. Yes, I think, you know, some of the things that he's written in here, of course, were were later, I, I mean, when he talks about princi- uh, angels, principalities, and powers, this mm-hmm. later became part of the theology of the church. I mean, he's right. not referring back to something. He's creating it, of course. He's a great, the greatest <laughs> theologian that ever lived. And yeah. um, so he's, he's creating this. Later on, it became that. In the most, in the most cases, um, uh, I, I think his, you're, you're right. that What he's talking about here, if you, if you look at it carefully, what he's mentioning here, he's mentioning... Um, when he talks about things present and things in the future, when he talks about height and depth, I mean, he's, he's basically saying what, uh, what in philosophy we might be saying is uh, that uh, neither nature nor, nor uh, time mm-hmm. uh, can, can stand in, the, in this way. I mean, Paul was not, to my knowledge, uh, knowledgeable about, the, say, you know, Plato and Aristotle and the Greeks so forth that was not that was not part of the normal uh, education uh, that a man would have there he was definitely educated in the Old Testament and um, and in the way in which the Old Testament was taught which is basically readings and discussions about the readings seen within the readings and uh, and trying to understand trying to understand what certain readings had uh, had meant of course there's many different interpretations of many of 
many of the sayings. Um, so I think his background, we might call him a philosopher, but not, not a philosopher in the sense that he was trained in something that was called philosophy. I don't think there was anything called philosophy in the um, in, in the, that time period. In that time, no, no, not until maybe after the fourth or fifth century. In fact, in, to some extent, the philosophies of that day, which we call philosophies, that there was a fine line between those and the religions of the day. Yeah, they were basically that. It were justifications in some in, in some manner. I think it's true. It, it was their way of trying to understand life and right. explain life, and and often they did that with one, two, or multiple gods. Right. Well, you know, the, the first philosophers in the 5th century uh, B.C. In, in Athens and the area around there were what we call nature philosophers. They took a look at the world and tried to say, well, why is it that it's this way? You know, why... Why couldn't it be some other way? And if it is this way, what makes it this way rather than some other way? How do we understand? Uh, and so they would talk about things that inver- and invariably, some of them would, talk, would eventually talked about it in terms of mathematics. Um, and of course, that was the most that was the basis of logic and, and, and so forth. In Israel, the uh, the answer was less that, but a revelation that they were given this revelation. The revelation was there both in Sinai and in other places, in the, you know, in the thorn bush and in other, uh, in other areas. And the question is not necessarily why did it happen, but what do we do with this happening? And, and in both cases, one Addison after, I don't know if I call it an afterthought, but at least thinking about how to, ha- how to handle it rather than why it took place. Uh, more of a how question than a why, but still, you might call it philosophy. Um, both of them, however, had one thing in common, and that is that they um, they took a look at the world as it was, as it, as they saw it, not as something that was standing in the way of something else. Uh, if, you, if you pardon me for putting it that way, uh, for example, in India, um, the uh, the world. Uh, is seen as, uh, there's a term they use, maya. And maya means both the observable things, and it also means that which, um, which blocks our understanding in, in some ways. So in some ways, we have to get beyond the observable things. And so what happens is that where we learn about things is in some ways like meditation, which is to say an inward look, whereas both in philosophy and the Greeks, and in, and in uh, Israel, what we saw was reflection, seeing the world as it is. Mm-hmm. In, in the Greeks, it was seen through nature, and in, the, um, and in uh, uh, Israel, it was seen through history. Um, because up to the time, up to the time of the, of the, uh, of the uh, Israelites, uh, all societies were what we can call, in some ways, nature societies. That is to say, they they looked at um, wh- whether they looked inward to try to understand, like meditation, or outward and reflection to try to understand the world. Whatever, whichever way they did it, they were they were looking at things in somehow in cycles, and in uh, that no- nothing changed in the world. Um, in some cases, very explicit that way. The the uh, the ancient uh, uh, Egyptians and the Sumerians and so forth. They had uh, you know. Uh, the, the death of a series and uh, the inundation of the Nile, and this happened every, and that re, reinvigorated the world and so forth. 
But when you had something like Sinai or, um, you know, even the, dead, the Red Sea, when that kind of thing happened, but you just can't wake up next day and say, you know, that's going to happen again next, <laughs> next year. It's never going to happen again. God entered into society. And, the, and, and what was different about that is that in all these other societies, the world itself was in some ways sacred. It was the world of the gods. We were pawns in this world. We tried to figure out what happened so that we can do the right thing, otherwise they might strike us down. In Israel, what we saw was that God entered the world in a certain way. He spoke to Moses. He gave us the Ten Commandments. And, of course, in a much more dramatic way with Jesus. But um, those things obviously said, wait a minute, this is a marker. <laughs> this is not going to happen next week again. This happened. This is it. So we date times. So we didn't date, date things in some in some logical way until there were until there were the jews in effect it wasn't just the rule of this king and what happened in the fourth fourth year of the rule of this king and then we start another king we have to start the calendar all over again no no this is the reason that we marked the calendar by the birth of the one who entered in, into the into the world and changed everything um so yeah philosophy does play its part in, in both of these um understandings but it it, it it's it's different from the, you know, the, the way St. Paul would describe it, and of course he wouldn't use the word philosophy, I don't think it was right. even understood then, but nevertheless, he does understand it, but he understands it through revelation. And by saying it understands it through revelation, you, you can see that I'm not talking about he understands it through some kind of uh, non-reason, uh, you know, or non-rational way of looking at things. Uh, he could, uh, he could be, it could be very reasonable, it doesn't have to yeah. be simply you know, your heart, it isn't that way at all. That, that was br later on, people people broke it away and, and had the disgust against philosophy, um, said that, you know, unless you, uh, that faith and somehow was separated from, from, from reason. And uh, the church, thank God, has never... Tried to keep a balance. Exactly. exactly. You know, one thing I was, I was thinking of as you were talking is that, you know, Paul is, is as a pastor, he's meeting the needs of these people who fear because of what they brought with them and their background, maybe their particular understandings of the world and life and the great Mandela, you know, the, the circle of life that came out of their philosophies. And, right. But he says in his letter to Ephesians, two places which are very reminiscent of this, where he says, uh, for example, in Ephesians 1, he says, um, uh, which is accomplished in Christ. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe according to the working of his great might, which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And then later in chapter 3, he says, um, And Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. I mean, once again, there's this, he's using the categories of what they bring with them exactly. to help them be drawn closer to God. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, that brings up a point that I wanted to mention about my attraction to this passage uh -huh. because it ends with what is it they're trying to separate? Well, it turns out that what they're trying to separate us is from the love of God. 
okay? Yep. And not the love that we have only to him, but the love that he has to us, too. This was a very, um, um, I wouldn't say shocking. By that time, by the time I read this, I don't think I was, I was beyond shocking. But, um, <laughs> but nevertheless, when you think back on it, it for me, it was, may have been shocking because love was the center of all this. And, I, and of course, we're so used to, Lewis wrote a great book called The Four Loves, and he talked about four different understandings of love. But nevertheless, what we're talking about here when, uh, is, in, in my mind, was this difference between the Old and the New Testament. The Old Testament was the highest kind of, of reaction, the highest stalwart, what, what, what Aristotle called the spudaios, the great man. What, what he is supposed to do is exhibit righteousness. And by righteousness, we, need, we mean he has done no wrong, he has only done good. But mainly he has done no wrong, he has, he has, uh, he has uh, looked at these, done, done his prayers, done his observations. He has done the actions that were required. Who else but St. Paul, a Pharisee, would have known this? This is the nature of being a Pharisee. And in fact, one of the things that was shocking to me in the, in the uh, New Testament was Christ um, condemning the Pharisees. Uh, I thought, you know, I can understand these Sadducees. You know, these are the, you know, the smatterers and the snickers yeah. and the cynics and so forth. They're the rich guys who want to pay off somebody else to, to do their prayers for them and so forth. But the Pharisees, these are the guys who were eight, ten hours a day praying to God, trying to understand him as deeply as they could, um, doing the very best to purify themselves so they would be pure for him. And and who else was, the you know, and... Paul said, as a Pharisee, he was, you know, unsurpassed, unsurpassed, unsurpassed. I thought, here he is, the greatest man uh, that that lived. He's a Pharisee. He's the right kind of person. And Mm -hmm. here Christ is condemning him because the the nature of what we're supposed to do is not righteousness. It's it's love. It's something, it's it's greater than life and than righteousness. Righteousness is a beginning, but righteousness is only for the self, and love is for others. And, and um, so it, it was, when I saw that it starts out, who's going to separate us? And, and the question is that it isn't the question of who's going to separate us from Christ, because that would have been, that would have been, a, I think, a different kind of passage and a different yeah. kind of, it, it was who's going to separate us from this love that he exhibits everywhere that is him. Yeah. And that was, um, that was different, believe me, from, <laughs> from my, my own background. I'm only going to say I didn't come from a loving household. I did, very much so. But it isn't loving in that, in that same way that is earth-shattering and changing and life-changing that this is. Well, Bruce, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have all, a couple minutes left. Talk, if you would, to our audience about, okay, how does this apply to their lives when uh, you know they're faced with a lot of crises today? At least they hear about them on the news, maybe in their neighborhoods, maybe in their own bank accounts or their jobs or a variety of things. What does this passage say to us and to them? Okay. Be back just a moment. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, and I'm joined this afternoon by Bruce Fingerhut, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. 
It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grote. I'm joined today by Bruce Fingerhut. I just wanted to make a, a comment, uh, just a note to Troy out there from Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, we got your phone call, but the question is, I, is not going to fit into our discussion today, so I apologize for that. But if we, we don't have a way of calling you back. So if you want to call our offices, though, I'd l- I have someone that would love to talk to you in answer to your question. It just wasn't I- in line with what we were, Bruce and I were discussing today. But thank you for your call. And any of you that write or call us, we'd love to, to be in dialogue with you and, and uh, answer your question. Uh, and Bruce, what do you think? Uh, well, let's say people are out there. How does this apply to their lives today? Well, there are a couple of passages. This is the principal one, but there's also the one about uh, Christ has won the victory. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, there, we, we live, I think, in some ways, uh, there are two great answers to what life is about that comes from the ancient world. Life is the battle of the Iliad. Life is a journey out of the... Uh, out of the uh, Odyssey, and in some ways, this is really the battle uh, battle cry. Yeah. Uh, the um, the um, The fact of the matter is that there are so many people, and I remember reading Kierkegaard and hearing he wrote about this, that people say that their sins are so great, that their failings are so high, that nothing can save them, and they feel embarrassed to talk about it. They feel embarrassed to talk about, it, and they feel they can't pray because they're unworthy. And this passage tells us that, yeah, that's the nature of our lives. That that we, all these things, these remember the things that he's talking about being in the way of us are things like principalities and powers. I mean, enormous things. He's not talking about just the little things. And we most of the time we do get these this. This terrible feeling of of inadequacy, of uh, of failure, of uh, you know, and, and the the point is that these do not, in and of themselves, these do not separate us from God. It's the only way to separate us from God is a purposeful part action on our side to turn ourselves away from Him. Um, I, I love this quote from Bishop, from uh, Cardinal Hume in in, uh, in England when he talked about Saint Augustine, who was of course near to my heart. He says the life of Saint Augustine, which I don't think I have to reiterate here too much. I think people understand what happened with him before he was converted. Yep. The life of Saint, Saint Augustine proves that all saints have past and all sinners futures. And it, it seems to me that this is what, in some ways, that Saint Paul is mentioning here. Yes, we're all going to be sinners. And all of us fall, you know, failure is part of our nature, and we all do not come up to the love of God in, in any way. We all fail all the time. But the point of the matter is the separation that separates us from God is something that cannot take place unless we will it. Yeah. We Only we can get that in, in there. All these other things, all these great strengths, all these failures that we have uh, day and night, uh, whether they be monetary or sexual or whatever it may be, the kinds of things that, that are troublesome to all people. 
these things are not the things that separate us. Only our own willing uh, uh, desire does that. To give in, to, to give up, to turn away. You know, That's right. It, it's funny, Bruce, I was walking this afternoon on the way out to my car to go to lunch, and I walked by some stones, and I noticed something round laying in the stones, and, and it, was a, it, had a, a, it was a metal uh, coin about, oh, as big as a, a dollar, silver dollar, and it had a cross on one side, oh. and I picked it up and turned it over, and the other side it said, with God all things are possible, yeah. Mark ten twenty seven, and you know it, it fits exactly with what we're talking yeah. about today. That you know when we think about the love of God, then we are with Him and He is with us, and that is He is always there and He will not turn away. It doesn't mean all of a sudden I can decide to do whatever I want to do because God will make it happen. No, because then we're turning away from God. That's right. We're turning under our own goals and our own self centeredness, but we are to if we're focused on him and his love, that there's nothing can separate us from that. And then all things are possible with him. Well, you know, Jesus lived during a period of, um, what can I say, uh, lots of, uh, a, a, a period in which people were looking for a Messiah. Yeah. Okay? And, and he talked about false prophets that were going to be around. And one of the things that I imagine almost always is an indication of a false prophet is, follow me and all will be well. Nothing, I will save for you from everything. No, God doesn't save us from ourselves. He gives us ourselves. And, and it, it's, it's so much different than, than the, the false prophets you see, whether they be politicians or whether they be <laughs> people in history or something like that, that give you this idea that if you just turn over your life to me, um, I have a plan for you, and I'm going to give it to you exactly this way. I think the first part of that, give your life over to him, and he'll have a, has a plan. But this plan may not be in accordance with what you think it's going to be. I mean, <laughs> it may be a, a life of trouble. It may be a life of, of, dis, of disease. It may be all kinds of things. It may be something you're thrown into that you are not, you think, prepared for. Let him prepare you, I think, is probably the way you should look at it. Well, Bruce, thank you for joining us today on Deep in Scripture. I want to remind the audience of your website, St. Augustine. That's one word, S-T. Augustine.net. You'll find out about St. Augustine's Press and the, another forthcoming title, If Einstein Had Been a Surfer by Peter Kreeft. <laughs> I've got to get that to read it. It's good. It's a good book. <laughs> Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure. And all of you, thank you for joining us on this program. We pray that our discussion was an encouragement to you to remind you, just as Bruce picked this verse out, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that is something to to build our hope on, is on the love of God and his love for you. God bless you. It's a pleasure to be with you. I look forward to joining you again next week.